0: You know, it, it's funny because I have I, I have conversations with people sometimes, and in in America we tend to rate our sin like, well, I I only lied to somebody; it's not that bad. I, I, it's not like I murdered somebody. And the Bible says that basically all sins equal. So. I, I I always joke with people about you know when they they talk about things like homosexuality or other other things that they like to do and they say you know it, it's it's not any different and I said well would you feel the same if I was a practicing murderer well, what do you mean well if 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 I went around and I was killing people and I said well it's my choice I mean I can do it who are you to judge me don't thou shalt not judge. Would you, would you have an issue if I was a practicing murderer? Well, that's different. No, no, it's not. It's the same thing. You're sinning in God's eyes. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It's a sin. So that's kind of made me laugh because I, I do that a lot. Um, last week, David, did you start yet? Yeah. Okay. So last week we read about Paul shadowing the example left by Christ of unconditional love. Paul was determined to go back to his brethren in Jerusalem and preach the gospel. He was well aware of the dangers that were set before him in going back to Jerusalem, and he actually even said at one point in our our scripture last week that the dangers set before him were actually even told to him by the Holy Spirit. He knew full well what he was getting into going back there. So... He calls together all the leadership, the the church elders from the church of Ephesus, which he had just spent three years teaching the gospel to, and he wanted to warn them of the things that were going to happen. And it was mostly that once he left, there was going to be wolves that came in to devour the flock of Christ. And they were going to, he even said, in some of you meaning some of those elders, that they were going to be compromised and they were going to change what God told them Um, because Paul wasn't there to kind of oversee what was going on with them. So he also told them that he knew the prospects of seeing them again were slim. He actually said, I'm not going to see you again. But he was still determined to go into Jerusalem. So let's open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 21, and we're going to start and look deeper into really what is the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Um, As we look back upon all of his journeys, one word that best describes him in everything that he's done so far is that he's determined. Everything Paul did, he did because he was determined to do it. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Like I said, I don't have my glasses, so I'm going to try and get through this best I can. Huh? That's not any better. I actually blew it up on mine, so I'm actually glad I went with a pretty big font on what I got here. So I think I'm all right. I'm gonna be all right. Um, and when when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there up. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, and there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples we stayed there for seven days. And though the spirit and and through the spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and we returned, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre and we arrived at Ptolemas, And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us... to, I'm, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, "Let the Lord, let the will of the Lord be done." After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us uh, to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Amen. You guys can be seated, and we're going to pray real quick. Lord, we just thank you for this time that we have in your word. We pray that you would just use my mouth to speak your words, and we pray that we would have soft and pliable hearts to hear what, hear what you have for us today, Lord. Again, let us shut outside the, the things of the world, all the cares. Let us just focus this time on you, and we just pray that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so this is not going to come as a shock to most of you, but I probably have the worst ADHD of anyone you've met. My squirrels have squirrels. If you don't, if I don't watch myself, we can start off in the book of Acts and end up talking about how awesome the tacos in Huntington Beach are. Detail... And this, um, my wife will attest to. Finishing jobs are not really my strong suit. I'm more of like charge the gates, and we'll deal with what the carnage later. That's that's kind of my that's my personality. That's why my wife is perfect for me because she balances out my insanity. I'm. I would normally do like a splatter approach where I just chuck a whole bunch of things at a wall and see what sticks. Paul, on the other hand, is very single-minded approached. He's very focused and determined on what he's doing at all times. He, He did use different styles with... What he the the way that he would preach the gospel to different people But basically the approach was always the same Just teach them the unashamed truth. He never shied away from from what the truth was There was no sugar coating. There was no beating around the bush. It was just the straight gospel He was determined That as many people as could would hear the gospel of Christ So today we're going to basically look at three different styles of what I call Paul's determinism um, and just the way that he approached the way that he dealt with people. First, we're going to look at how he was head down determined, he was fellowship determined, and he was end game determined. And I think there's a place for all of those in our lives and I think Paul shows us when and where those work out really well here. Um, so let's first let's take a look at head down determinism. What what does that mean? I I did kind of just make up my own little things here, but I'll make them make sense. I promise. I I would define that as like just putting your head down and you're walking. You're you're not even like focusing on anything other than where you're going because. Your head's down, and you're just—you don't have an opportunity to look from one side to the other because that's going to distract you from what you want to be doing, where you're going. So, the Bible references this idea in many places. I'm going to show you just one for now. We're going to look at Deuteronomy five thirty-two to thirty-three, and it says. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside from the right hand or the left. You shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. The idea here is that you stay on the path that God has given you. You put your head down and you plow forward. Okay. Sadly reading this this these two verses in deuteronomy they actually talked about it in that video a little bit god would give them a command and tell them go here do this and what did the people do the people rebelled they always rebelled every single time so you read the story of deuteronomy you had these people walking around with moses for 40 years in the desert And what's God telling them? Stay focused. Stay on the path. These people for 40 years wandered in the desert. How many of them actually went into the promised land? Out of all those people, Joshua and Aaron were the only two that went in because they stayed focused on the path. They didn't didn't listen to the stuff that was distracting them from what God's plan was. So... God gave them their God gave them the plan and they turn to their own wisdom. When they turn to their own wisdom, they stop following his. The Bible is full of stories like this. So how does Paul example this? Well remember last week, Paul wants to go to Jerusalem. Okay? So he wants to get there before Pentecost starts because he wants to impact the people in Jerusalem with the gospel. That's when a lot of people are going to be in that city. So he wants to do that. He puts his head down and he starts moving. You noticed as we were reading through the scripture, he went from city to city to city to city. Up until now, every single city that we dealt with, Paul was like, I was here for weeks. I was here for years. I was here. He spent a lot of time fellowshipping, raising up, training, discipling all these people in these different areas. Now, He's gotten to a point where i got to get there. I need to get to Jerusalem. I don't have time. And there's even a mention about we passed Cyprus on the left, meaning normally I'd hang out with these guys. I didn't do it. I just bolted on, and we went straight through it. So just so you guys know, basically, just for you history buffs out there, um, we're at about 58 AD right now, kind of in the early part of the year. That's important to know if you're a if you're a ship captain. <laughs> because the there was a prevailing wind thing that they were dealing with too. And I'll get into that a little bit more. But the um we're at about 25 years after Christ's death right now. So we have Probably about 20 or so years of Paul discipling all of these nations and going through all these areas. And now he's just focused on one thing. He wants to get to Jerusalem. Okay? So, something that you need to know about sea travel at the time that we're talking about, and it's very important. Believe it or not, when the Bible was written, when when the book of Acts was happening... These people did not have motorized boats. What? I know, I know, there's gasps, there's shock. So, I, I know some of you kids are like, Really? I thought they had them forever. Um, so, they didn't have these motorized boats. So, really, when you were traveling from place to place, you were at the mercy of whatever wind was prevailing at the time. So, can you put up that map, David? So basically, he's coming from up here, coming down this area right here, and you can see all those little islands that are noted right there, okay? Notice something, if you were going from here to here, you're out in the open water, right? Well here, along the seashore, you would have prevailing winds that would happen early in the morning and they'd die off in the afternoon, So, when you're traveling that area, you would kind of go, it would be like, how many of you guys have little little sailboats that you put in your bathtub and you'd kind of blow on it? When you blow on it, it goes, and then when you stop blowing on it, it stops. Same idea. In the morning, it'd blow, and then they'd have to stop, and it would blow, and they'd have to stop, it would blow, and they'd have to stop. That's why they went from city to city to city, okay? So... They're they're hopping from one place to the next. The thing that we notice in all of this is even when they're stopped at these things, Paul's not evangelizing. He's not taking the time to stop and talk to people. He's head down. He's focused. He's he's on a mission. His mindset and the deadline of getting there is too important to him. Because he knows... It's kind of like, a little bit like me. I know if I start talking to somebody, oh, well, maybe I'll just stay an extra day. Maybe I'll stay another extra day. Maybe, and then he's not going to get to where he wants to go. Um, he basically has to he has to change ships a lot because he's on these little puddle jumpers that are going from island to island to island. Okay. And There's a mention that they, I told you this before, there's a mention that they passed Cyprus on the left, but there's no time to stop, no time to encourage, um, which was common for him. We've read it probably in the last 15 chapters that Paul's all about stopping and encouraging and loving on the people and all that stuff. He's not doing that. His head's down, he's pushing forward. If I lived then, I'd be in big trouble because he'd be like, oh, look, friends, let's stop, talk to them. I'd never get there. Once they landed in Tyre, though, they had no choice but to stop because the ship had to unload its cargo. So now we're going to step aside from our head down, and we're going to look at our we're going to look at our fellowship determinism, determinism because when Paul has to and he's got the time, he's going to spend it. He's going to spend the time doing the things that he needs to do because. I can't do anything else, I might as well spend the time discipling these people. And so once they knew that the travel was out of their control, they basically go, alright, let's find the disciples. Where are they at, who are they, let's find out where they're at, and let's, let's go talk to them. Um, the disciples in the area, though, they basically spend their time telling Paul what their concerns were and why they were worried about him going to Jerusalem. We all have had something... um, We've all had something we know we have to do, and those around us don't understand, right? We, We all have to make decisions in our life where even the people that love us the most go, I can't believe you're doing that. What are you doing? Sometimes even to the point of like, they think you're throwing your life away. Counsel from our friends is important, and I think it's vital to good fellowship. We're not in this walk alone. We've talked about this a bit last week, but fellowship with other believers is very important. Um, we have to make it a part of our lives. That's one of the things that the whole block party here is about is it's this, this communion here is great. Sitting down and having a meal and talking with people and sharing your lives and, and dealing with that's communion. And that's what that's what we should be trying to partake in. Here's the thing. Think about this. Seriously. If you don't like people now, wait till you've got to spend eternity with them. I mean, re- really. We, we have to remember th- that the church body I- is people that we're going to spend eternity with and we need to love on them that way. I, I remember at a church that we used to go to Literally, the word, the word, amen was said by the pastor and it was like a stampede, like the running of the bulls out the door. People were so happy to rush out of this place. It, it kind of reminded me of something Pastor Adelman said one time that always made me laugh. I went, I went golfing with him and we're out there. It's just the two of us and we're golfing along and these people behind us, they kept hitting the ball up into us. And we're like, what, what are you in a hurry for? And finally, we like let them go past us, you know. And there was a group ahead of us, so they weren't going anywhere. It was just kind of stupid. It was whatever. It was just funny. And Al looks at me and he goes, "I've never in my life seen somebody in such a hurry to get done having fun." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, you came out here. You're having. You're supposed to be out here to golf and have a good time." And you're like, "Come on, I got to hurry up and get done having fun." That's how we are sometimes with other believers, is we don't take the time to have fun, because we're in a hurry to go get on with other stuff that we have. Um, and I used, to, I used to always chalk it up. I'd be like, "Well, you know, it's football season. Maybe they're like, they're trying to hurry up and get home to a football game or something like that. But it was happening in March, in April, May, June, all the non-football seasons. And nobody watches baseball, so we know it ain't that. (laughs) There's a couple. I don't want to say that. (laughs) But but I mean, do do they just not like people? I I don't think that's it. I hope it's not it. Um, But we should seek out those like Paul did for fellowship. Another thing that I hate hearing is something that I heard again just this week, and this one, seriously, it makes me want to scream. I'm going to read you this guy's comment in full, and then I'm going to kind of tear it apart, because it's really kind of a, it's kind of a big picture of the church today and what a lot of people believe. Um... So, it's, it's basically... They should have... It's people that don't really want to be part of a church body. They want to kind of have their own little special relationship with Jesus. Um, they, they They may do a little home church or something like that, but a church is bad to them. And... This is becoming a very popular position today, even in Christianity. and It almost always goes back to one thing. So let me read it for you. This is what he said. He goes, those of you who support a congregation of heathens pouring 10% of your monetary earnings into a building, church is a meeting of three or more discussing the Bible, not a physical building! Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Most of you have been have been bamboozled your entire life with religious jargon, and you won't even read your own Bible. So you get led by a preacher, pastor, or priest. Wrong answer. That's what this guy wrote. Sadly, it's a very common belief among certain people. I'd like to dig into it a little bit further first, I'd like to address the congregation of heathens. Yeah, I'm okay with that. We're all heathens. Um, If there's anybody in this room that's perfect, you're in the wrong place. Seriously. Because the church is for sick people. The church is for people who don't have all their stuff together. Nobody in here does. He also makes known his pride by basically saying... He's not a heathen, so why would he hang out with other heathens? Okay. All right. So, secondly, since he brought up the Bible, let's go ahead and dig into that one a little bit. I don't really need to go into the 10% tithe thing, but it's a pretty widely known biblical principle. We're told to give our first fruits. Not because God needs it, but because we need to give. What I would like to dig into is the three or more concept, because that's kind of a pretty common thing when people really, in reality, let's let's be honest, you don't want accountability. So, if you don't want accountability, you don't go to a place with a lot of people who can hold you accountable. We talked about this a little bit last week, but the same type of person who doesn't want to go to church because of all the heathen, heathens, um, he'll watch his favorite pastor on TV and very simple there's no accountability it's just you and yourself and the guy on the screen and you know what the guy on the screen can't see what you're doing so you could be doing anything you want to be doing doesn't matter you know what your friends you guys can come together and you can have a little three or more or whatever kind of bible study that you want to have and you know what there's not really that much accountability in that um i want to flip through a couple of quick bible verses and just show you how this idea is just not biblical so Luke 11.29 Luke says, When the multitudes were gathered unto him. Is multitudes three? Multitudes is a lot of people. Acts 15.30 says, So when they w- were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And he having gathered the congregation together. That seems like it's more than three. Um, Luke 5.15 5, 15 said, And large crowds were gathering. Acts 10:27 says, "And Peter went inside and found a large gathering." Luke 8 4 says, "When a large crowd was gathering, I could go on and on because I read my Bible, which is what he says nobody does." Most importantly, why? Why do we do this? Hebrews 10:19 through25 says this: "Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience of our bodies, washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, who, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one, other, uh, one another up to love and good works. And here it is, boom, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You're supposed to bring people to church. You're supposed to encourage them. You're supposed to love on them. Not neglecting to meet together. It's important. Why? Because we're to stir one another to love and good works. That is literally what Paul has done for the last seven or more chapters. That's what he's done. And you have people out in the Christian community that are like, Oh, well, now we just stay at home. We don't really have to do that church stuff. To say that fellowship or gathering with other heathens is not important is just ignorance. It literally is. How do you encourage anyone if you just pick up your two or three perfect friends and have church? Last thing, and I'm going to get off my tangent. God built himself a temple for services and for worship. To say that a building is not there is... Just not intelligent. I fully get the concept of how the Holy Spirit is within you. But it doesn't remove the idea of fellowshipping with the saints. That is very important. It also does not get rid of the concept of pastor-teachers. And the requirements that the Bible holds for people who have those positions you would literally have to say that Paul wasted a lot of ink writing out what those requirements are for a pastor or a teacher. Here's the sad part. Normally, people that have that position, and I, I do understand it, people who have that position are typically hurt by a church. And basically, they decide to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay? Okay. I I do understand fully that there is a lot of abuse out there. And there's a lot of waste and a lot of resources that are are misused. And people look at that and go, why is the church doing that? Why does the pastor need two jets? I I don't even understand that concept. But, so I get it. But you know what? There's a lot of pastors out there. There's a lot of churches out there that aren't that way. So we don't just give up on the church because some of the heathens in the church. All that does is tell us that we have work to do in the church of Christ to clean it up. The worst thing that we can do is run to our television or our two perfect friends and hide from all the heathens. Jesus didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. We shouldn't do that. Paul went and sought out his friends even knowing that they were going to say you shouldn't go. We are not going to always agree. That may have just shocked you. You guys are not always going to agree with me. I me, mean, you always should. No, I'm just kidding. You, you, <laughs> de- <laughs> I always joke with my kids, and they're, 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 I always say to them, I say, well, if you thought right, you'd think my way. Anyway, we're not always going to see things the same way And Christ is doing things in you and in other people that you may not see. You may not understand. It may not make sense to you whatsoever that somebody's doing something, you're like, why? Why are they doing that? But they're head down. They're plowing through. Why? Because God commanded them to do something. They're doing it. It doesn't have to make sense to you. This church didn't make sense to some people. Our Hebrew scripture says that we're to stir up another in love and good works. Paul wanted the love. They didn't have to agree with him. He wanted to go there in love and encouragement. Paul knew what he was called to do. And and in the first instance that we read... They loved him and they sent him on his way. The children, the families, they all went down to the beach together with him. And they prayed and they shipped him off. That's all we want. Is to know that we have support. Even if you don't like my idea, love me. That's the idea here. You may hate what I'm doing. My wife said it the other day, and I, I, I loved it, because she said, just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I'm against you. And I think that a lot of times we look at that and we go, well, you don't, you don't like my idea, you must hate me. And it becomes very adversarial, and it's, it's not that at all. Paul, I'm sure, felt loved because these people genuinely cared about him and worried about his safety. The entire group went down... To see him off. Then Paul goes off to Caesarea, and he goes to the house of Philip, and there he meets this guy named Agabus. Agabus, we first get mentioned to him in Acts chapter 11 and verse 28. We, we discussed him a little bit there, but Agabus was a, he was kind of a showman, all right? He was this prophet guy that eh, think of him as the Annabeth of prophets. Theatrical. That was Agabus. So Agabus gets his, and he's like, give me the belt. Let me show you. And he comes over and ties himself up. Probably looked like an idiot. Ties himself up like this, and he's like, this is what will happen to the man who wears this belt. But he makes this big theatrical thing about it. just to show them what Paul was awaiting in Jerusalem. Paul gets a much different reaction from the Caesarea crowd than he did the other crowd. They tried to talk him out of his mission. They put on this big show with Agabus. You can't do that. And Paul is literally like, what are you doing? You're bringing me to tears with this I know what I have to do. And you're sitting here putting on this show and doing all this stuff trying to talk me out of what I have to do. I know what God's commanded me. As much as he loved them, Paul was end game determined. That's our last one. He knew what the end result was. He knew where he was supposed to be. For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. That was Paul's end game. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ being proclaimed in Jerusalem, that was all that mattered to Paul. The people didn't understand the importance of the risk. But Paul did. They didn't understand why Paul had to do this. But you know what? Paul did. We don't have to love what somebody's doing to love them. We don't have to like their idea to like what they're doing. A lot of us, would, a lot of us in, our, in our own flesh would say, Paul, 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 don't do this. Live to fight another day. Well, Paul's been going around for years discipling. Paul's love for his Jewish brethren let him say, I can't let them do this anymore. They need to hear the gospel. Paul had his calling, and in the end... These people in Caesarea give the most modern day Christian thing ever. And since he would not be persuaded, verse 14 says, let the, this, is literally, this is literally what they said. Well, let the, Lord, let the will of the Lord be done. It's so what we would say today. Basically, it's the same as, yeah, you're a stubborn idiot, We're not, we can't get through to you with our vast intelligence, so let the Lord deal with you. We tried to warn you, go on, do your thing. The next part is telling, because some of the disciples went with us. Remember with the other group? All the disciples went with them, even the women and the children. In this group, just a couple, a couple of them went with them. The first group saw that he needed support and love and they gave it. Second group thought basically same as the guy in the letter, you know. That's the heathens. They just go do whatever you're going to do. We're wise, we're smart, we know everything. You're not doing what we're saying, so we're not even going to help you. Didn't even there was no prayer, there was no blessing, there was no nothing from the second group. So i want to wrap this up with a couple of key thoughts. Paul was determined to finish his mission and finish it in Jerusalem. He had his head down and he was plowing towards the goal. When he had stopped for fellowship, all he wanted was support. All he wanted was to be shown the same kind of encouragement and love that he had always given to them. One group one group gave it to him, the other group didn't. And in the end, Paul went on. The reality is, is when God gives you something to do, stay focused on it. Don't, don't worry what other people think. Don't, don't be concerned with the opinions of man. Kinda goes back to that the the old thing we read way back in Acts is do I follow man or should I listen to God? I mean, you're telling me not to decide. You're telling me not to preach Jesus' name. Do I listen to you or do I listen to Jesus, who told me to preach His name? Which one? Remember the seminary school thing. Always go with the one where God's in charge. Paul went on and I think his heart would have been eased with the support from both groups but ultimately he was confident that he was doing God's work God's way When someone is called to something we need to we need to assist them in any way that we can Putting up roadblocks doesn't help anyone if what they are doing is truly God's will, who are we to argue? We're going to continue through this story next week, but but know that Paul's determination is something that we should follow. Think, Think about Jesus when he was going to the cross. He had... Every opportunity and the power to stop that from happening He never said a word he did it because he knew it had to get done Don't look to the right or to the left but keep focused on jesus Give it all to him and just go follow the path. He's laid out and don't let anybody slow you down Our mission is is to tell people about Jesus Christ. That's our goal, and I think too many times we we just kind of sit back and go, "Well, yeah, but there's this, but but there's that," and I and we put up all these artificial roadblocks that that don't really. It's just excuses, and pretty soon we end up watching television, going, well, "Why is, why don't I have anybody?" Because we've excused ourselves out of church. We've excused ourselves out of everything that's important. Let's stay focused on what the goal is. All right? We'll stand up and we'll pray.